0: This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people need a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. And from chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Go and do likewise.
1: Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Brad uh, Falk. I'm the transitional lead pastor here, and I'm d- delighted to be here. In fact, I, I was greeted by somebody just a moment ago and uh, said hi to them, and they said, you look pretty relaxed. You're not preaching today, are you? <laughs> It's it's a tad obvious. And in fact, I'm I'm just about to go on vacation. Uh, Four pastor friends, uh, including me, with our young adult sons, are leaving tomorrow and we're going to hike the 40-mile Resurrection Pass Trail. Um, And uh, we're hoping not to be eaten by any bears Or get uh, carried away by mosquitoes But um, um, it's my privilege to be able to introduce you To one of those pastor friends And I was trying to figure out how long, Andy We've known each other um, Close to 40 years Maybe a little less than that 36 years Um, You've aged uh, more than I have during that time (laughs) But uh, Andy and I uh, share a long history together. At one point when we were young and uh, more radical than we are today, we tried an experiment where we lived in a, uh, a Christian commune together, if you can imagine that. You know, and it was a grand experiment, we're still <laughs> we're still friends after that. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, Andy is a covenant pastor. He spent the bulk of his uh, ministry serving on the mission field. He served for almost uh, 20 years uh, in in missions both in Mexico and Spain and most recently uh, involved in Muslim and Christian conversation. And uh, presently, he is a covenant pastor who works with covenant churches, but also um, represents an organization called Peace Catalyst International. I am delighted to invite Andy to come up and share God's word today as we are uh, expanding our understanding of what, uh, what wild Jesus looks like. So Andy, please uh, come up and uh, teach us today.
2: Okay, here we go. Can you hear me? Is that working now? Okay, great. Well, I've got stories uh, of Brad, too, and and, uh, (laughs) I would have used the term Christian commune, Christian community. You know, it it has certain implications when you use that other word. But it's great to be here. Uh, I'm from the Seattle area, that's where I live currently. have worked cross-culturally, as, as Brad mentioned, for many years. Um, and uh, this is cross-cultural up here, too. So, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm going to be sharing um, some reflections from um, this, the scripture was just read. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, this Samaritan, he fell among um, or this, this particular person fell among um, robbers. And I'm thinking, am I going to fall among bears this week? And we're terrified. There's a number of us in in the team that are just always talking about bears. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But it is good to be with you this morning. And um, I want to kind of talk about uh, three things this morning and invite you into a journey that I've been on um, engaging Muslims. But in in this journey... Part of of that uh, journey, there's three pieces to it. There's there's the journey of of me interacting with the text, with with scripture and this this parable of the Good Samaritan I've heard uh, all my life. Uh, But also there's another journey in in something that I'm experiencing as I um, not only engage Muslims, but as I engage uh, the church and as I engage my own, what I would call my own tribe, my evangelical tribe, as we seek to... um, engage Muslims with the gospel. So those those two pieces. Um, um, and then um, really what what God is doing among Muslims as we engage them with the love of Christ. So those are kinds of three journeys. The text, my own community, my own person, how I interact with the text, and what God is doing in the intersection of those two uh, among Muslims. So just to kind of... Uh, mix it up a little bit this morning I want us to think about not the parable of the Good Samaritan and uh, let me just also say that in this text many times we hear it so often we think Samaritan oh well they were just another group of people that was proximate to the the children of Israel they're just you know it's, it's as if they were just in a neighboring community and they're not that different But I think those of us who read scripture uh, deeply understand that the Samaritans were significant in the story of the kingdom of God, significant in the emerging uh, ministry of Jesus and in his teaching. And just even this last few weeks, the text that was read this morning, something jumped off the page to me that I hadn't noticed before. And it's in those verses just before the parable of the Good Samaritan in chapter nine. Jesus is kind of laying the groundwork and he says, at the time, um, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village. So there's, right there, he's kind of setting the context for the parable of the Good Samaritan. They went into a Samaritan village and they experienced opposition. So, who were the Samaritans? Who were they? And if you recall, you know, if you read Scripture, where else do they show up in in in, uh, in, the, in the New Testament? So there's the parable of the, uh, the good Samaritan, but there's also the, the the famous story that many of us read and really enjoy is, is the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan. And if you hear and listen to the conversation, kind of the internal conversation, of what is going? on, on with Jesus and the disciples, um, you realize quickly that the Samaritans didn't mix with, with the Jews. In fact, they were in many ways the enemies. But what kind of enemy were they? Was it just because they were of a different ethnic uh, community? Uh, was there some history of a war? Uh, who, who were the Samaritans? Well, they were monotheists, they were religious people, they were devout, but they, they bowed when they prayed not towards Jerusalem as, as, as the Jews did at that time, but they, they bowed toward uh, Mount Gerizim. And uh, so these were religious people, religious observing people. And so today, I just want to put in your, in your thinking that maybe who would be the Samaritans in our world today? Who would be the people that would most resemble the Samaritans of, of, of this text for us today. And I think in some ways, I, I put the good Palestinian, but in my work also I would say the good Muslim. And that, that may shock people. Is there a good Muslim, we would ask, or is there a Muslim that, that we could engage that would, that would fit this, this, this kind of different way of looking at it and reading, reading our text? Two years ago, in fact, two years ago today, I was preparing to go to Palestine (coughs) and uh, serve with an organization for three months, uh, living in the city of Hebron, which is in the southern part of the West Bank, uh, a Muslim Palestinian majority context. And I was to be with a group of volunteers. There were four of us, one from Sweden, Norway, um, Germany, and, and myself in a community serving and engaging uh, the issues, the people in that area. Uh, And it was predominantly Muslim and predominantly Palestinian. However, there were also some Jewish settlements in the area. And so we were inserted in that area. And I remember before going about this time, two years ago, I was reading and doing research. And one of my uh, good friends, another covenant pastor said, who had served with this organization before, he said, Oh, Hebron. Oh, wow. Hebron. (laughs) Shaking his head. He said, you're going to be sure to catch a whiff of tear gas in Hebron. And I thought, oh, is this exciting or is this something to be terrified about? And reading the tour books like Lonely Planet and, and other tour books, uh, they warned about Hebron. In fact, they recommended basically, um, you know, if you don't have to, don't put it on your itinerary. Go to Bethlehem, go to Jerusalem, go up to Nazareth, but don't. Don't go down to Hebron. So, this is where we were going. This is where I was going to be living uh, for three months. There was another thing that that struck me as I shared with people, and I shared with other Christians especially, and even as I kind of did a a, a personal inventory of my own soul, I thought, um, Hebron? Muslim majority context? It's close to Gaza? So Hamas groups, other um, militant Muslim groups, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? And interestingly, uh, I asked this question. This is a a two Palestinian um, gentlemen, kind of uh, seniors in a community close to where we lived. And I asked the question, what, what do you see? When you see a, a, a kafia, a head covering like that, what do you see? Or in this picture, uh, this is right in the market of Hebron. And um, I, I, I'm a pretty serious photographer as a, as a pastime and as a, a hobby. And so I like to try to capture uh, stories. And this is right in the market. That's a, a, a card of pomegranates and I uh, showed this picture, put it on my calendar this last year, and, and people looked at the young kid there on the right, and they were kind of terrified. I said, "Who is that? You know, his look, his what I feel about him, what maybe what he thinks about me as a as a Westerner, or as an American. Um, it just it's just a little disconcerting." I asked the question today. <coughs> Um, often about um, about the Muslim different Muslim communities that I engage in. Um, last week, um, one of the one of the things that I do in the Seattle area is I go and um, visit mosques. And right now, of course, we're in Ramadan, and Ramadan is when they uh, observe from sunrise to sunset uh, a fast, and they it's total fast, so no water, no food. Um, for that period and I asked kind of jokingly a couple of years ago in, in Seattle in a mosque well, what, do, what do Muslims do in Anchorage <laughs> you know they fast from sunrise to sunset so I was kind of poking a little bit <laughs> I "Go, you really do that if you're in Anchorage and then he kind of hemmed in the and he goes well we have, we have ways around that we have ways to deal with that and uh, usually what Muslims do if they're in Anchorage or in a northern climate where the sun is is showing all the time they observe the, the hours of Mecca so they, they, they have a hybrid way of, of practicing, um, practicing Ramadan but last week I, I went to a, a community that I hadn't been to yet in Seattle and this is a, a mosque in the northern part of Seattle and it's a fairly new community and it's, it's a Bosnian Muslim community And does anybody know what the significance of July 11th, 1995 is? I didn't before this, and I'm kind of embarrassed to to confess this, but I did not know the significance of this date. And in this, what I wanna share is is a little bit of my own blindness towards the Muslim community, what I do not know, and uh, what I would ask you to also kind of think about yourself. July 11th, 1995 was, it was right um, in the heart of the conflict. Yugoslavia had, had um, been dismantled. And so there were all these different groups in the former uh, country of Yugoslavia. And Bosnia was, um, was a predominantly Muslim population. And the, uh, the Serb, Serbians hated Bosnians. And the Serbians tended to be Christian. And on this day, 1995, or in proximity to that particular day, over 8,372 Muslims were massacred. And when I was in um, in this mosque, they were commemorating that. They were trying to remember, and they were, there was a, a, a choral group of young girls who got up to sing, and obviously they were singing in a language that I didn't I didn't understand, but I heard the deep pathos, the deep lament as they sang and remembered uh, what had happened on that particular day. That also happens to be my father's birthday. And in July 11th, 1995, I had no idea what was going on. And marginally, I'm aware of the conflict in that area, but not until just last week did I understand the significance of this for this community, the Muslim community. And so they grieve, and they they have this story. And in this particular mosque, um, they all have been touched by what had happened in in those days in 1995. And when I came to the mosque, one of the things I do when I go to uh, a new Muslim community, (coughs) um, I go up and I introduce myself. I say I'm an ordained minister. I'm a pastor. I... uh, and I just want to come and hear your story. I want to see what you do. I want to learn about your community. In this particular time, there were about six of us that visited the mosque and um, the, the, the greeter at the back, he just opened the door and ushered us in. I went up to the front seat. They gave me the a, a front seat and we broke fast. Iftar is, is their, their, uh, what they do during Ramadan, they break fast in the evening. Uh, they pray and they have this big feast and boy did we eat we ate did we ate um, but going to listen see um what muslims think of us uh, i i bump into often and i hear reflected back uh, and often when i when i tell a muslim i'm a pastor i work with an evangelical church they they kind of like whoa there's, there's an element of surprise they don't expect that a Christian um, and even more so an evangelical would come and, and be friendly and visit them but this, this, uh, this week it was significant this event was significant, and for us to be there to listen to their story to sit with them as someone who didn't come. With ill will uh, it it just opens doors incredibly so this is a lot of what I do as I engage uh, Muslims I I, I go and I just engage them first this is a human being Um, and interestingly as I listen to them more and and invite them to share their story with me they want to know more about me and what I represent and it's I think it's a rule of, of basic human relationships and interaction. The more you listen to someone else, the more they want to hear you. Isn't that true? Even in, even in a marriage, the more you listen and listen deeply to someone else, the more they want to hear you. It's one of, one of I'm writing a, kind of a code of ethics of how I engage Muslims, and that's, that's top on the list. Listening, listening well. Well, I met Hasim in this community, a Bosnian. The guy on the be the left uh, used to be a general in the Yugoslav army, uh, Bosnian. The guy on the right is the president of, of, of that particular uh, organization, kind of like the chair of the church, but he's the chair of the mosque. And uh, as we sat there over food and began to t- talk, we, sh- we exchanged cards, I said, What? as a pastor and as a pastor representing churches, what can we do to best serve you in your community? And he, it, it, you could just see in his body just kind of this, what? This is a Christian asking me what, what they can do to serve us? And those kinds of engagements, those kinds of, those kinds of uh, conversations um, uh, I'm learning, I'm learning as I go along. And I've had fear, I've had a lot of fear in this journey of engaging Muslims. But as I, as I lean into the gospel and the, the good news of the gospel and allow the spirit to open doors, uh, some amazing things have been happening. Here's a story back in Hebron. <clears throat> the guy on the uh, left, well, it's the same guy as on the right with his hand on my shoulder, um, The first few weeks in Hebron, uh, we would go down to the the downtown area, the center of the city, and I saw this guy from a distance. I go, ooh, he's a little scary. (laughs) You know, just the way he carried himself. He he had a very serious look. He had this uh, vest that looked like it had something inside. He's packing something. And you know, I read the stories and you, you hear about uh, Hamas activity or other uh, militants groups who have a political agenda, they're active. But uh, as I prayed and just tried to be a representative of the kingdom, I just felt the Holy Spirit nudge me. said, you need to go meet this guy. So I resisted for several weeks. But part of our routine uh, with this organization was to go down to the downtown area, be present, seek to be a peacemaker, seek to listen to the stories of people. Uh, there were a lot of things we did. I taught English in a uh, Palestinian school um, for three months. And about the middle of my three month period, I went and I introduced myself. So uh, curious who, the, who he was and what his reaction was gonna be. Now, I don't speak Arabic but he spoke wonderful English. And that began a, com- a relationship that just, it just—it was an amazing thing. And I, I could tell just by his body language and the way he, he was viewed in that community uh, that he was an important person, probably a leader. So um, it's somewhere in there. Uh, I just made it as a regular routine, if I could find him, if I could see him, I just wanted to go and, and greet him. And then he began, the door just kind of opened more and more as we as we uh, were engaged in, in conversation. And he would often do this, just snap his fingers and people around would do stuff. And he, he, he called out two stools and we would sit down on the, just on the street corner. And then he'd do this again and someone would go running to a, a coffee shop and bring out two on this beautiful tray, two... Um, very dense uh, Arabic coffees, and we would just sit down. Um, and we just sit down and talk. He would pull out of his smartphone, and he'd show me pictures of his grandkids. I don't have grandkids yet. He showed me uh, pictures of his um, his brother, who had just gone to Mecca for the Hajj, and were, were I mean devout, devout Muslim. Um, and as we were sitting there one time, I'm just very aware peripherally of, you know, there's people watching. So I'm obviously a Westerner. I'm obviously an American in many, many ways. I try to disguise that in some context, but it's hard to hide. And uh, it was Scandinavian descent, so that helps. Right, Keith? Yeah, that helps. Ah, sure. <laughs> and... Um, a police officer came up to him and started talking. And I could just tell that he was a very important person. And at at times he'd open up his vest and there were rolls of money. And it turned out he he was kind of the uh, mafia boss for anyone who sold cigarettes in that area. So there was like, they'd have these little tables with packets and cases of cigarettes. And they'd bring the, you know, the proceeds from their sales. And there he was. And we, so... This is a strange world we live in today, but he's my friend on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> he likes my photography. And I very intentionally on Facebook talk about, you know, like when I went to the Bosnian mosque, I mentioned that. And he, he said, thank you for remembering us. Now, he's, he's Palestinian. He's not Bosnian. But he feels vicariously the pain of what, what happened in that instance in, in, in Bosnia. He's aware of what's happening to the Muslim community around the world. And me just standing in solidarity with Bosnians in Seattle, (laughs) it is a strange world we live in, is registering with with my friend in Hebron what's going on. And that there's a Christian and more, there's a Christian leader and more, there's an evangelical who stands with us and is listening and wants to know our story and seems to show love and friendship. It is quite an interesting world. Well, um, I was invited to preach in uh, North Park Covenant Church in Chicago um, about a year and a half ago. And um, I had been working with that church for some time. Um, They, uh, a few years ago, noticed that the community around North Park Covenant Church was changing. It wasn't Swedish anymore. It was, you know, people with these coverings on their head were in their neighbor, neighborhood and they didn't know what to do. So they they asked me to come and kind of help them think about their Muslim community and, and what do we do? How do we engage them? So I started uh, kind of a relationship with them and helped them think through that. think through that. I made connection with a mosque in the local community. We actually took a group of about 20, 25 uh, people from North Park Covenant Church to the mosque. But they had, uh, on my recommendation, began a relationship with a few people in that, in that mosque before him. So now Umar, Umar Ali, he's a young guy. He actually uh, uh, was a futures trader in the Chicago Board of Trade. Um, he played football at a Christian university, Augustana, I think, in, in, uh, in the Midwest, but a devout, devout Muslim, young father of two children. Uh, Umar is the guy on the left of this picture and Mark Nielsen is next to him, the guy, the shorter, shortest guy in that picture. No, the, yeah, Mark Nielsen, he's, a, he's the pastor now at North Park Covenant Church. And so I'm helping kind of build these connections and these relationships But uh, when I preached at North Park, uh, they invited Umar and this other gentleman who's the president of their community to come and hear me preach. And I'm thinking, what kind of a sermon do you give? Do you pitch when you know there's Muslims in in the congregation? And and that just terrifies me at some some level. But then we had a lunch after that. and we had a conversation with, with these Muslim gentlemen to begin to ask, how can we as 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 spiritual, devout religious people in our community join together in projects that serve our broader community? Because too often our world and our larger community, they look at, at the Muslims, they look at the Christians and they think we're the problem. We think that we're just at each other's necks, that we create more conflict wherever we interface with each other. And so we're seeking to be different. We're seeking to engage Muslims, but also serve the community that we are placed in. So Umar, he loves uh, landscapes. He loves the beauty. And he's, he's aware I'm in Alaska. And he goes, oh, I can't wait to see your pictures. Um, and every time I go to Chicago now, we try to, have, we try to have coffee together. We try to just continue those conversations and relationships. <clears throat> just some pictures from different communities I'm involved with and something we need to think about. Pew Research did this uh, study recently and this is what they found. Just uh, need to kind of put it out there this morning. Majority of Christians, so this is my tribe. We buy negative books about Islam. Now I've read those. I know all the quirks of Islam. I don't. I don't believe Islam. But when I go into a mosque, I don't go seeking to disprove their faith. I engage them at another level. We open the Quran sometimes. We talk about verses in the Quran. And at different points, because I have their trust now, I can talk about, well, this is what my holy book, this is what my Bible says about Jesus. And we go incredibly deep. But it's because I don't come with that face of aggression. I'm into truth. I'm into sharing the truth of the gospel. But what is the front edge of that? How do I begin to engage Muslims? What are the the first things? So 60% of us, and this is is me, also at a a certain point in my journey, 60% of us have a prejudice towards Muslims, just in general. So those pictures I showed at the beginning, we have a certain, there's a a gut reaction often that, that comes. Well, Muslims aren't perfect, so they have uh, feelings about us in many cases. This study, I think, was done in, in the U.S., so they have a little different view of, of Christians here because there's sometimes positive reactions that they have with, with uh, Christians. But I know that in a Muslim-majority context, in Palestine, for instance, these numbers would be probably flipped in some way. Now, the saddest thing for me is, is the 86%. So when I go into a mosque, it's a rare thing that a Christian is is going to build a bridge with a Muslim. And if I was to go into any mosque, 86 per, this according to this study anyway, 86 percent of them do not even know a Christian, unless have any kind of a personal relationship with a Christian. What what are the implications of that down the road? What are the implications of that? Uh, for the gospel for the good news, the love of Christ to actually penetrate and to come in to their awareness, I, I feel I'm in a um, that God has called me, given me this uh, incredible privilege to to be in a place that's very important today, because over half of the world's population is either Muslim or Christian, and it's it's a big big deal. I want to close with two, two stories. <coughs> Jawad is a um, has become a good friend. He is an imam, which means kind of like the pastor, the spiritual leader of a, a Muslim community in, in the Seattle area. And about six years ago, I met Jawad five or six years ago. And uh, we started this conversation over coffee. It was one of my... Um, Initial context with Jawad, and um, on my card I said something about bridge building. He goes, "Bridge building," and you're an evangelical. You know, it's one of these surprises again that I just bump into a lot. Of. And he said, "You know, this month in our in our mosque, we're we're talking about bridge building because now he is in a he's a minority in a, in a larger uh, Western, um, you know, with the presence of the church, and they are seeking to build bridges." to to their community. They're seeking to be a constructive element in their community to, to build bridges. So he he said, "Okay, Andy, you're a pastor. I'm am I'm an Imam. We're focusing on bridge building this month. Could you be our guest? Could you come Friday night when we pray and speak to us about bridge building?" And I thought, "My goodness. <laughs> no way. I mean, this is crazy." Uh, But again, one of those things where the Holy Spirit just pushes and nudges and said, well, God's opening a door here. I don't know what to do when I step through that door, but He's opening the door. So I went uh, a certain Friday evening about five years ago, and there was over a hundred Muslims gathered. Uh, I invited some friends to to come with me, and I was terrified. I was, you know, pitted out. Just pitted out. And um, we, I shared about 20 minutes and we had a Q&A. So this wasn't just me kind of projecting, but listening and trying to answer questions. And I just felt nudged to, again by the Holy Spirit, to, I think it was the Holy Spirit. We never have a real, we can't be so sure <laughs> that those voices are the Holy Spirit. But I, I just felt nudged to say, you know, I'm, I'm here and I know that you have not always had positive experiences from, from the church and from Christians. And I just, speaking now to this gathered Muslim community, I just want to ask your forgiveness. If you have had any, any um, negative, um, unloving experience with a Christian, I, I want to ask your forgiveness. And just, I don't know what you think about that, but just felt nudged to do that. And it was like a pin dropped in that prayer room. It was dead silent for, for a few seconds. And again, they're just, what is this? Who is this guy? You could see their wheels spinning. And then this spontaneous thing across the mosque, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, which is basically praise be to God. Praise be to God. They're connecting. They're hearing. Somehow, through my presence, through the love of Jesus, this bridge being built to their community. This seeing, seeing them as people in this this community, it sometimes beat up. Um, you know, I don't I don't need to go and argue how they beat us up. I just can just be there as Christ's presence. Well, after that Q&A, we had, um, they like to eat food, kind of like we do in covenant churches. And so <laughs> there was there was a coffee time and a lot of food. And um, our shoes were off because you take shoes off in the mosque just out of respect. Why would you want to bring the dirt in from the street and from the world into a place that you pray? And you're, you're kneeling you know, doing prostrations on the ground, and you actually wash your hands and your feet, and your arms up to your elbow. So we're in circles in the side room from the prayer room, and there's about six to ten Christians, and we're in little pods just around this room. And I'm hearing people talk about who Jesus is. You know, Do you believe this about Jesus? And Jesus appears in their holy book. And so we're we're going into this pretty significant conversation (laughs) it just keeps going and going and we're having a great time and at one point I'm thinking okay um, does this kind of keep going I look at my watch and it's midnight and it's not the land of the eternal sun down there (laughs) it's dark outside but the the heartfelt the genuine connection the bridge that's being built and Jesus the good news of of the gospel coming across that bridge Um, I'll put my shoes back on and Jawad and I are now planning a, uh, a, a bus journey together where we put Christian leaders and Muslim leaders together and we journey together for three days and four nights and we just share life we just share life and in that sharing we trust that our faith as a muslim their faith their practice and us as christians Jesus comes through if muslims are to be enabled to see the christ of the gospels they must first see must first see the likeness of christ in his followers The parable of the Good Samaritan, this young lawyer, well, it doesn't say young, but this expert in the law. This is what I am. This is what Brad is. We're experts of the law. And we, we sometimes try to draw this circle around the group of people that we can love, that we will love, and then outside of that circle, no way. And Jesus hit that young lawyer, with the gospel, with the kingdom of God that is different than sometimes what our tribal message is. And Jesus asked that young lawyer, um, which one of these obeys the law?
0: Which one of these obeys the law? Amen.